Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. There is a case pending before the U.S. Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C., involving U.S. Congressman Lacey Clay and a St. Louis high school student. The artwork of Cardinal River High student David Polfus. His painting was selected in a national competition to hang in the U.S. Capitol building along with the paintings of students from across the country. It depicted protest events in Ferguson and portrayed police as animals. After hearing some complaints, Capitol architect Stephen Ayers ordered the painting removed, calling it disrespectful. Congressman William Clay went to bat for his constituent, Polfus. He took it to court, lost, hence the appeal. Joining me in studio to discuss the case are Professor Chad Flanders, a professor of law at St. Louis University. Mark Sableman is a partner with Thompson Coburn. Full disclosure, he has represented St. Louis Public Radio in the past. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you. Mark, let me begin with you. What is, are the grounds for the appeal in this case? Well, Congress, the congressman and the artist are challenging the removal of the art. This was a very unusual situation for art to be removed under these circumstances. The competition was open to all. The competition expected diversity. The competition expected a lot of different things. There were no hard and fast suitability requirements. They've been left to the congressman to decide in the past. The congressman was fully supportive. There were ceremonies at the opening. Everyone accepted the the painting. Uh, Everyone congratulated it. It was up for seven months, and there was no problem. By the way, it was simply in a, in a tunnel between one of the house office buildings in the Capitol. Many, many different student artworks, 400 from around the country, were displayed there. No controversy until someone uh, basically went on uh, Fox News and said, this is terrible, the police are portrayed as pigs, it must be taken down. At that point, it kind of became a right-wing cause celeb, and under kind of coercion, the architect of the Capitol said, okay, I'm removing it. We call that a heckler's veto. It's a classic case of censorship. When something meets all the criteria, it it fits within the competition, and it's only some particular person who doesn't like that message that claims that it has to come down, and it comes down. A heckler's veto is anathema to the First Amendment. It shouldn't be allowed, and that's why uh, the congressman and and David Pulpis are appealing, and that's why I was part of a group of arts organizations that supported their appeal. Why did the lower court uh, re- reject that case? Well, it was on a preliminary injunction, so they, they, they wanted to um, put the art back up. And uh, what the lower court said basically was that they decided it based on something called the, the government speech doctrine, which I, I'll make an analogy, and Mark will tell me why this analogy is a bad one. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of like if I decide to uh, hang a painting in my own house, and I could uh, – uh, do this by any means. I could have a competition. I could invite a bunch of high school students over and say, paint a picture and I'll decide whether I want to hang it up in my house or not. And I could I could maybe have some standards for that competition. I could say, well, it, it shouldn't be too lewd or shouldn't be too shocking. Don't make it too controversial. Um, and then I could pick a painting at the end of the day. And maybe I have it up for seven months, uh, as was the case here. And maybe a few friends are over and they say they don't really like it or they think it's too controversial or it's, it's not good art. And I can take it down. So I think what the government is saying here, and, and, and I think, albeit it was a, it was a, a sort of preliminary uh, uh, decision, um, but they won on it below, uh, the government says this is, this is our house. This is part of Congress. It, it is a, a, an area that is technically open to the public. My understanding is it's, it's called the Cannon Tunnel. You have to be accompanied by your representative. So it's, it's seen by the public. But they, they're basically saying it's our house. It's our decision what art we want to hang up. And, yeah, we had some standards. We thought we'd open it up. But it's, it's eventually up to 
uh, us, and there's, there's, I guess, someone called the architect of the Capitol who makes the final decision. And, and eventually, when, when the, the controversy erupted, uh, they referred it to the archi architect of the Capitol who did a, a suitability review, and he said, no, this isn't suitable. Um, so, and so the government's position on appeal is basically, this isn't a First Amendment issue. This is our, our decision of what artwork we want to hang in our house. Who knew there was an architect of the cabinet, yeah, number one? That's, 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 that's right, news yeah. to me. But, Mark, the, the, there is something involved in here has been alluded to called government speech. What, what the heck is that? Well, that's a great question, and I would only repeat that. What the heck is government speech, and why is it the way that the district court perceived it? I think Professor Flanders did a great job of explaining the best case for this. And you notice he basically said, in my house, I have total discretion. And that is indeed what the district court in this case said. The district court said, and I quote, because the speech activity here is likely government speech, plaintiffs have no First Amendment rights at, at issue. That is a drastic and terrible ruling that there's no First Amendment rights at all on something we give the label government speech. Now, government speech is a new doctrine. It's kind of hard to explain fully. But I would say quintessential government speech is when the government erects a civic monument to endorse a particular civic virtue. And my examples would be, we have a statue of Pierre Laclede here in front of St. Louis City Hall. That statue sends a government message. Pierre Laclede is a founder of St. Louis, and we're proud of him. Uh, in the Capitol Dome in the U.S. Capitol, there's a kind of painting of George Washington as a classical god almost surrounded by metaphorical figures. And what we're saying is, we celebrate the foundation of the United States and, and, and our history. Those are government speeches. But when you get into we're allowing 400 paintings to be displayed in a tunnel, that is not the government speaking. There's no particular government message there. And it's, I would say it's akin to books in a school library. Yes, the, the government owns the library. The government purchased the books. But can, the, can a partisan person go in and, and as a heckler's veto and say, I don't want this particular book in the library. Let me take it out. That case went to the U.S. Supreme Court about 35 years ago, and the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to allow this kind of heckler's veto in, li in government libraries. And that tells me there are limits on government speech, and those limits involve the First Amendment and classic issues of freedom of expression. Just to be clear on this with regard to government speech, would the, uh, the issue of the Ten Commandments in the courthouse and the fact that uh, they were removed, is that, is that part of this whole government speech thing, or is that totally different kind of thing? I should probably leave that to Professor Flanders, but I think it's really on the margin. To the extent it was in the courthouse, it raises government speech mm -hmm. issues, but the, the religious aspect of that case, I believe, predominated. Right. Well, move in a little. Oh, closer, sure. Right? Yeah, no problem. Um, uh, so th they would say there might be an establishment clause issue, and there are some. There was a case uh, called Pleasant Grove uh, versus Sumum, where there was a park. Uh, this was decided by the Supreme Court a few years ago. There was a park um, in Pleasant Grove, Utah, where they had a monument of the Ten Commandments, and uh, another religious group, uh, Sumum. Uh, said, hey, we want our own statue in there, too. We'd like our own monument uh, displaying the tenets of the Sumum religion. And the park said no, uh, because, uh, you know, this is a government deciding what message to, to choose. And we like to have the Ten Commandments there because they show the, the religious history of our nation. And this is how things usually go with establishment clause cases. They'll say it's less about religion and more about tradition. And that, that's what they did with the, the uh, Ten Commandments uh, uh, in the Supreme Court building because it's, it's, it's a, a, alongside other sort of great figures in the history of law and, and, and the Ten Commandments just fit along that sort of history. But I, I would say, Mark, the thing about the, the statues that we have um, in parks is the government gets to decide which statue it puts up. 
It doesn't have to put up a statue of Stalin. Uh, it can say, no, we don't want a statue of Stalin. So when you have the government speech doctrine, and this is the power, if, if the court decides this is a government speaking, the government can decide what message it wants to endorse or not endorse. Um, and so when you decide to put a statue of Pierre Laclede in the park, you don't have to open it up to anyone else who wants to put on a, a statue, you can say. Or you could, you could say, you know, bring it in, but we'll, we'll get the final say because it's us speaking. It's our message. And the same thing with these paintings. It gets a little hard when you have 400 paintings What's the message here? What are they saying? And the paintings all say different things, and they seem to be pick and choosing which ones they like because there were other paintings that address controversial topics. They just picked on this one to take it out. So there's a suggestion that, like, yeah, you really did open this up, and that's the other doctrine that's at play here, whether they created what's called a limited public forum by having a competition, by inviting everybody to come in, and basically uh, – having no editorial control over it. it. It's my understanding that no paintings were rejected, I think, before this one, maybe one. But the architect of the Capitol would either just say, that's great. Uh, in fact, this painting initially was rejected because the frame was wrong. Uh, right. and they, so they fixed the frame and they said, we're good. Um, it's only seven months later with the, with the controversy. So the question here is, like, was the, was the government really opening it up and saying, yeah, we want to hear from everybody in the same way they might open up a park and say, if you want to protest here, that's great. We're not going to pick and choose sides. Mark, uh, is there a distinction between freedom of speech and freedom of expression? And is artwork considered speech? No, artwork is definitely part of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Um, uh, it has been for many, many years. There's no doubt about that. And in fact, I think in many ways we give artists greater uh, leeway because we realize that art is at times ambiguous and has different meanings to different people, and we shouldn't have one person's particular imposed meaning govern what happens with the artwork. I'd like to, to kind of follow up with what Professor Flanders said about the statues in a park. And I think that, again, the statues in a park are very close to the statues out in front of City Hall or, or other civic monuments. They do seem to be the quintessential um, government speech. There was another recent case the Supreme Court decided on trademark registrations. And the question there was when the government is registering a trademark, that's government action, is the government saying we endorse all these trademarks, or that is that government speech? And uh, one of the, the justices in one of the opinions in that case said, well, where you have many different views, it's not government speech. And Justice Alito said, if this is government speech, government is babbling prodigiously and incoherently. And I think that's a much closer analysis, a, um, analogy to what we have in the Pulpus case, where there are 400 paintings with many different views. Um, some of them, uh, frankly, are celebrating police and celebrating veterans and so forth. Some of them are, are taking skeptical views. There are others that are hitting just as hard on race issues as David Pulpus's painting. Uh, many of them talk about other areas of life. So it was a cacophony. If the government is speaking, uh, it's babbling prodigiously, and that's not government speech. But the power of the government speech doctrine, just if we go back to my house again, I, I can attest the artwork in my house has no message. It's a cacophony. But it's my house, so I can decide whether I want to express a message through the various paintings and sculptures I have or no message at all. I, I guess the government could also say in this case – what we're doing is celebrating high school artists, and that's the message. And here's all the different things they can do. So there is a sort of higher-level consistency that we, we want to celebrate uh, high, school, high schoolers and, and, and the artwork that they can uh, create. Well, but in the same way, when we celebrate high school art, 
Uh, we're doing something similar to what the government did many years ago in the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, mm-hmm. where they celebrated artists and they had artists of all different kinds of, of works of life, different media, mm-hmm. doing all sorts of different works. And they were s- totally subsidized by the government, sponsored by the government. We see them on post offices. We see them in public buildings. And for the brief that we did for St. Louis Volunteer Lawyers and Accountants for the Arts, we pulled out a uh, postcard I had, I'd say, from several years ago, a mural, WPA mural at Coit Tower in San Francisco. And it's a beautiful mural. It shows San Francisco street life. There's, there's a newsstand. There's a police directing traffic. There's a, a postman at a mailbox. And right in the foreground, there's a well-dressed man in a suit, and he's looking at his newspaper while a thief puts a gun to his head and pulls out his wallet. Front and center, right when you walk in Coit Tower. Now, we put that in our brief and we said, the government is not endorsing armed robbery. Anyone who sees that mural sees a WPA work with the artist's vision. And therefore, the display of a number of different artists with a number of different artists' vision is not government speech, in my view. We have a caller who wants to get in on this, and I think maybe we'll look at it somewhat differently. Brant in St. Louis, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you, Don. Uh, I'm not concerned about who's right or wrong, but did you even contact any conservatives to counterbalance your two liberal guests? I think you're guilty of media bias here. Well, I don't think so. We uh, we wanted to discuss this subject, and we uh, contacted two prominent people, did not ask them what their point of view was necessarily. Well, I will say that the, <laughs> the government has a strong case, and it was Paul Ryan who is uh, – behind uh, uh, getting this painting kicked out. So I, I think the argument that on his side is actually a pretty persuasive one, I, and I suspect, I, I'm never quite good at predictions, that it will prevail in, in, the, in the appellate court. Well, I'll, I'll say something. Two, that, that, why do two guests agree? Why do they agree? Why do your two guests agree? Why don't you have someone that says, no, we disagree? Isn't this democracy to hear both sides? Well, well, I, I think actually Professor Flanders has Mark, made a stronger case yeah. for government speech than are even in the government's briefs in this case. Brent, we don't typically necessarily ask people what their political perspective is when we... we, we, we always pick the liberal. I know you do. Yeah, okay. Well, Brent, thanks for the call. Just again, I think Professor Flanders has made a stronger case than, than the, uh, the government has, but I do think that, in a way, even though it's the strongest case, also shows the flaw, because if government has an absolute right to do whatever it wants. And I think from the caller's perspective, what happens when the government is is controlled by liberals? He's not going to like that. I think he's going to want a situation where um, citizens have a greater right to display things than whatever the government wants in these many different forums that are supposed to celebrate the diversity of the citizenry. I'm a, go ahead. Uh, I, I would Jack. say, in general, First Amendment issues are hard to say if there's a right left, because mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of if you're committed to free speech, you're, you're sort of like... You're committed to diversity of, of viewpoints, so I, it, I think yeah. that's... Most yeah. liberals and most conservatives are probably uh, behind the free speech idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm advised here that the painting now is hanging in the office of uh, Congressman Clay, and the question is, why uh, doesn't the Capitol architect, <laughs> uh, Mr. Ayers, come down and uh, take, it, uh, take it away? Well, the Capitol architect obviously had special authority over this particular area of the Capitol. I assume that each congressman does his own uh, personal decorating in his own office. But it, it, his, his jurisdiction – this is a great question. I thought about the same thing. His jurisdiction does, I think, extend also to office buildings. But I, I suspect he gives uh, a greater deference to uh, members in their individual offices than in a quasi-public space. I would like to see him try to go yeah, Lacey Clay's uh, office. Why is exercise try. of discretion for someone who would like to keep his job? Right, yeah. <laughs> Does this case, do you think, have the legs to go to the Supreme Court? 
I, I think it doesn't because of the procedural context here. As Professor Flanders mentioned, the the case was at a preliminary injunction stage. That's a stage of extraordinary relief. Congressman Clay and David Pulpers were asking the court to do an extraordinary thing and basically tell the Capitol uh, architect he had to take back that uh, that painting. Um, the the court found that he the uh, the congressman and David were not likely to succeed on the merits. So it goes to the appellate court, but even then the appellate court is going to look at it in that particular procedural context, and that would be ill-suited, I think, for Supreme right, so, Court uh, review. But I suspect something like this, because I think the court is wrestling with the limits of the, the government speech doctrine and how far it extends. So this is, this is, I think this is a nice vehicle. I, I agree it's probably at least premature for the court to, to take a look at it. But something like this where we're trying to figure out when government is speaking and when, in fact, government has said, yeah, we want to hear from everybody, so we shouldn't pick and choose uh, which, uh, which uh, views we like and which we don't. And probably to, to flesh out government speech, we should uh, explain that there's another troubling government speech case, troubling from my perspective, and again, maybe Professor Flanders has a better perspective on it, but several years ago, the question of personalized license plates and specialty license plates in Texas went to the Supreme Court. And there was someone who wanted to have a Confederate flag on its Texas license plate. The Texas government had allowed all sorts of different personalized plates, including, for example, a burger joint mm-hmm. and Remax Realtors and Auburn University and other non-Texas universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'd rather be golfing. And yet they refused the Confederate uh, flag one. So that went to the Supreme Court, and a kind of an unusual decision, the Supreme Court said that was government speech, so Texas could make the decision it made. Uh, I have to admit, in this case, I sided with Justice Alito, the most conservative member of the Supreme Court, who said – That will Grant happy. <laughs> <laughs> who said yeah. that's absolutely crazy because no one thinks the government of Texas is endorsing REMAX realtors or, heaven forbid, Auburn football. <laughs> so I, I feel that that's about as right. far as the government speech doctrine can go and that – uh, the art competition is more more uh, remote from classic government speech than that, but that is a troubling part of the government speech dialogue. And I will say something that's bizarre about the license plate case is if you if you see someone driving ahead of you that says, I'd rather be golfing, you don't think that's the government's message. You think it's the person driving the car who'd rather be golfing, not, not the government. Uh, but one of the key parts of the test for government speech is would a reasonable observer think that the government is speaking rather than an individual? And that's why this case is interesting too. When you see the painting, are you thinking this is a painting that the message is endorsed by the government? And do you think it's the work of the, the artist? And uh, yeah, I think the license plate is a, a case is a strange case because I don't think that, that the government is endorsing every message on every individual license plate. And that, that's the strong argument in favor of uh, Mark's side in this case, that it seems implausible to think that the government is endorsing every little painting that it chooses to put up uh, in this uh, tunnel. I understand we only have about 45 seconds left, uh, Chad, that you, you've called this a textbook case, one that you could teach. Yeah, I, well, I taught, a, I, I taught a case similar to this uh, last year, I, it, and it was based on a case out of Texas where they had a, 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 a sort of Christmas scene in the, in the Capitol building in, in Texas, and a lot of people said the government's endorsing religion. And, but that had a clear sign that said this is a private exhibit. This is, this is a result of a private donor and a private artist. They were very clear that they did not endorse this message, but they don't have this uh, in here, which may suggest that they want to say, yeah, we do approve all these paintings. So you have a better case to discuss next year with your class. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Could we anticipate a quick decision from the Court of Appeals? No, the argument has not even been set yet, so it will probably be some time before it's argued and then decided. It is an interesting case, no question about it. Uh, Mark Saberlin, thank you for being with us, and Chad Flanders, great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.
Archived versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Alex Hoyer, Evie Hemphill, and Lara Hamden with production assistance from Aaron Dorr and Charlie McDonald. The executive producer is Mary Edwards. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.